<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. is the Tom Hartman Program. On the line with us, Congressman Ro Khanna, representing the 17th District of California in the U.S. House of Representatives. He's vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, former uh, national chair of the Bernie Sanders campaign, actually, years ago, and involved in all these negotiations and whatnot. Congressman Khanna, welcome back to the program. I realize you may have to bail out at some point during this hour. I, I may, Tom. I uh, always love doing this. Usually it is a, a non-negotiable time on my schedule, but uh, the, the president uh, may be coming to, to the House caucus and a lot of uh, wow. negotiations going on, as you know. I mean, I'm very proud of Pramila Jayapal, our progressive caucus. We've held the line in ensuring that we get the full Build Back Better agenda that they really were pushing to just pass the infrastructure to late last night. And there were calls back and forth with, with Senator Sanders, Pramila. We had a late-night caucus meeting around uh, uh, 10 o'clock. Uh, and then they realized that the progressives weren't just going to fold. And I, I think people were surprised. It's the first time the progressives have actually uh, flexed uh, political power in a good way to make sure that working-class concerns, childcare, Medicare expansion, so people can get dental and, and hearing aids uh, covered, the community college, paid leave, that these things actually matter, and we're not just going to pass things without those being in the bill. So uh, we had a good stand. Now we want to get it done. Well, you were on CNN, and I played part of it on the air here, you know, where you were saying, we still don't know what, number one, do we yet know what Kirsten Cinema wants? And number two, and I, I tweeted about this earlier this morning, why is it, I've been, you know, watching the news on this for uh, a week or so, that it's been, you know, really kind of top of news every day. And I have yet to see one single reporter for any network, not that I watch them all, but I have yet to see one single reporter ask one single Republican, why are you opposed to doing something about climate change? Why are you opposed to seniors on Medicare getting eyeglasses and hearing aids and dental work? Why are you opposed to giving uh, pre-K childcare to young working families so that they can participate in the labor force? Why? It's a great point that you make. I mean, it's all the politics. Yeah. It's all that they ask them, is the Democratic Party fighting with itself? What does this mean for your midterms? But you're absolutely right. They have not. And they said, and they always say, oh, why can't you support the president's bill back better? And then they let them say it costs too much. But they've never pointed it out with specificity. What parts are you opposed to people getting dental care? Are you opposed to folks getting child care? Are you ex opposed to the being able to take a day off if you're sick? I actually think it's, you know, as your points often are simple, but 
brilliant. And I'm going to, if I get on the CNN or MSNBC, which I'm sure I will, I'm going to try to raise this as, come on, try to ask the Republicans specifics about what they're opposed to. On cinema, we, we still don't know. I, at the very least, she's now negotiating and she's at least Good. now trying to do something. But I've always said, with, look, with Manchin, I have a strong disagreement, but at least you kind of know where he stands. I'm, I'm a little bit, bit disappointed that he had this $1.5 trillion number apparently out there two and a half months ago, and somehow we've all been kept in the dark, and there's been some wishful thinking. I mean, I wish we had had this conversation and the negotiations start back end of July, but, you know, now we finally are negotiating. Yeah, then you could have done a four-year bill instead of a 10-year bill. I'm sure your readers know by now that we email every now and then, and you forward me this article, which I've now, I take your points and I make them my own, but it, it made such common sense to me that why don't we front load the benefits instead of some of the programs being 10 years, have them up through 2024 and then run on it. And by and large, these are so popular that a Republican is simply not going to win saying now we want to take away your dental benefits, your child care benefits. So I have floated this from everyone to Ron Klain at the White House to our caucus. And if there is a compromise, I think it could be along those lines. God bless you. Uh, that's great. OK, anything else you want to point out or mention before we take phone calls? I'll answer on everything, but if listeners have particular insights or concerns about what's going on with the uh, uh, Build Back Better and the infrastructure, now's your time because it's a live negotiation that's taking place. Okay, well, let's start with Bruce in Cleveland, Ohio. Bruce, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. First of all, I really enjoyed your rebuttal last night, Congressman, with Chris Cuomo on means testing. I thought that that was a great talking point, so if you want to share that later with the folks. But I'm calling today because I am primarily dependent dependent on public transit, and I'm in a city, actually I'm in Columbus with a Cleveland area code, Mm -hmm. the largest city without any kind of rail service, passenger rail. So I'm a little concerned that if the infrastructure bill fails, then I'm kind of hurt from a transit perspective. So I was just looking to see what kind of insight the congressman could provide me with that. Bruce, thank you. First of all, I will say uh, that even uh, whether it's Chris Cuomo or whoever on uh, on CNN, MSNBC, and Tom, I'd be curious in your thoughts. I think this is the first time the mainstream media is covering something saying the progressives are doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, we're we're always g- g- being blamed, and finally, I think they're saying, "Wow, they're supporting something that's 80 percent popular." So it's been refreshing to go on and be able to make the case that the true obstacles have been cinema and 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 man. And, and not the progressives, and and that's a change in uh, in coverage. Sadly, Usually, that got I mean, missed this morning on NPR on Morning Edition. The, the entire piece was about how the moderates are being beat up by the liberals who are refusing to budge. Basically, that was the narrative, and they didn't mention yeah, no, cinema and, or mansion at all. It made me crazy. And it's such a false narrative because you have 95%, 97% consensus in the House. And this is a compromised version of Joe Biden's agenda that we're passing and something that the White House has wanted. And so it's not really a moderate versus progressive issue. It's really a senatorial obstruction issue by two senators. It's unfortunate that that narrative still is out there. We're trying our best to push back on it. Bruce, on your point of public transportation, I completely agree with you. The bipartisan infrastructure has some money, but a lot of it was gutted. The public transport money was gutted. The electric bus money was gutted. The electric vehicle money was gutted. And it's really a highways and uh, bridges and, and, and 
traditional automobile bill. I'm not saying that that's not needed, but one of the reasons that progressives are insisting on the second half is we want the money for public transportation, for electric vehicles, for climate, uh, to supplement the traditional uh, infrastructure bill. And it, the, it's a lot of the things in the second part, I think, that would help people like you who rely on public transport. Sarah in Westchester, Pennsylvania, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Uh, yes, uh, good afternoon. Um, my question for Representative Kana is, um, in reply to these uh, re more and more restrictive laws to abortion, why can't you get, uh, get um, a group of pro-lifers uh, from the Republican side and come up with a bill of accountability and responsibility for those who make those uh, women pregnant, that you, they get a pre um, a, a paternal test, and as soon as it comes, uh, comes out and determines who the father is, they are hooked uh, for for support from the very start, including um, hospi hospitalization uh, fees. It's an interesting question, and I am certainly all for paternal responsibility and happy to look into that. And it could be an area of common ground. I mean, obviously, we have to look at civil liberties concerns, but in terms of paternity testing at the right moment, and if earlier, I think it's something to look into. Yeah, we have a DNA option that we didn't have 20 years ago. So, huh, yeah. interesting. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. First, let me tell you guys that here I'm fighting the battle that the $3.5 trillion is not a one-year bill. Okay, um, on the power situation of who is going to get to have solar power, it's, coming, it's going to be coming up as an amendment in the Senate to stop people from private citizens from having their own power grids. So like in California, you had a lady call in a while ago talk about how she has free solar on her house. That is not going to be allowed anywhere else because you will be grandfathered in. But this lobbyist group is being funded by energy groups, you know, um, electric power, hydropower, coal, and nuclear power. They are looking at this Green New Deal as a direct threat to their income and their power. And so you'd have to figure out which one of these lobbyists is working with which senator to get this amendment in to stop the Green New Deal in the Senate. Congressman? I appreciate that. I appreciate the heads up. It sounds uh, totally awful and counter to uh, any desire to get solar more widely adopted. Uh, as, as you may know, because I've come on and said this before, in end of October, we're going to have every big oil CEO in front of our committee and ask them what they're doing specifically to kill climate legislation or insert provisions like this. So I will ask uh, about this. But uh, we will look into this, and you're right, it's coming from, from industry. Uh, the only other thing I will say is thank you for pointing out on the $3.5 that it's really $350 billion a year. It's over 10 years, and that is uh, about half, less than half of what we're spending on defense, which is $740 billion. So the numbers, the media plays all kinds of games with the numbers, uh, but it's really, you know, you're looking at $3.5 trillion over 10 years in an economy that's going to be $300 trillion in over 10 years. So it's about 1% of GDP. Kelly in Divide, Colorado. You're on the air with Congressman Connors. Hey, we need a fix to Obamacare, and this is budget-related. 
when I filed my taxes this year, I got my $800 credit because I didn't make as much as I thought I would. And then probably because a lot of people didn't go to the doctor last year, I got a rebate from my health insurance company. So I basically got paid $500 this year to sign up for Obamacare, and I'm going to donate it someplace, but I'm sure I'm not the only one who made money this year. So we got to fix that hole. Okay. <laughs> Kelly, I, I appreciate your pointing that out. Usually, I mean, obviously, we need to make sure that that is fixed, but usually the problem is that a lot of folks who are on uh, Obamacare still have extraordinary premiums. They still have a huge out-of-pocket costs, and uh, what we need to do is lower those uh, premiums and lower those out-of-pocket costs. It's ultimately why I believe Medicare for All is the only long-term solution. What Affordable Care Act does is basically subsidize private insurance. That's much better than people not having insurance, but the insurance companies are still making out and people are still paying too much. What we really need uh, is for universal coverage for Medicare for all. So we take those uh, excessive profits out of the system. Sounds like a plan. Pat in San Diego. Pat, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. I'm perturbed that GOP has tools that they bash the Democrats with, and many of those are caused by them. And I'm particularly perturbed about uh, the inflation we are going through. And uh, I believe any good economist like Joe Stiglitz would agree that the price of gas or any interruptions to gas cause a lot of that inflation. And as you recall, before we got hit with the inflation, there were two huge, um, uh, well, I would like the Democrats to fight back against this. Uh, there, there were two huge disruptions to the gas pipelines. One of them was the huge deep freeze that Texas suffered, and it broke everything in Texas. And that was due to their malfeasance and not, in not properly protecting the people. The second one was the cyber attack on the eastern pipelines. And for some reason, the media has hidden this. They, I have no idea if they've already repaired all of these problems to the pipelines. But the, that should be a huge driver of inflation. I'm hoping that the Democrats, that you might be able to push back against any talk of, of our policies causing inflation. I appreciate that. That's a really thoughtful analysis, and I can tell that you have a good understanding of uh, economics. I would say that you're absolutely right, that to the extent that there's been an increase in gas prices or certain construction costs, a lot of it has been because of a disruption of supply chains, either that we aren't producing uh, energy for the reasons you mentioned. It's also a reason that we need more renewable energy and diversifying our energy sources, uh, or we've uh, had a disruption in a manufacturing supply chain. And that means that we need to invest in building that industrial capacity to solve the inflation problem. And second, inflation tends to be a monetary phenomenon. And we can argue whether the quantitative easing is good or not and certainly has led to the capital inflation of, of the stock market. And that is an issue with the Fed. And they have to balance w- w- allowing wages to rise with, with other consideration on prices. But what is completely not the case is that somehow a 10-year investment in our infrastructure and our human infrastructure would be inflationary. I mean, even Larry Summers, centrist economist Robert Rubin have said that's simply not the case, and it's just a Republican talking point 
that unfortunately even has penetrated where some Senator Manchin is saying inflationary, it's just not the case. It's just factually not the case that uh, a, a package over 10 years that's unproductive investment will have any inflationary impact. Annette in Northville, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. On the reconciliation that guy from West Virginia, the Senator Manchin, he wants to have this means testing and included in the uh, bill. I mean, poor people are going to have to fill out all these forms for college. And if they do something wrong, they won't get the uh, free college because of the means testing. Will that be included or are we going to kiss his butt? And then I am not for means testing for a lot of those programs. For example, it would be horrible to means test Social Security. It's good that there are some things in America that we're all in together, that we all get Social Security, that we all pay into that. I think it would be a disaster to means test education. I mean, when I was in first grade, imagine if at first grade we had means tested it and there was a place where all of the working class and middle class kids went to school and all the rich kids went somewhere else. Now, unfortunately, that's already the case, economic segregation in this country with people opting to go private schools and that's their choice. But do you want to really make that worse or do you want to have certain common experiences in this country? If he's talking about means testing certain benefits like the earned income tax credit, fine, we do that. Uh, Or even the child tax credit already is means tested. It phases out. But there are certain programs, universal preschool, child care, community college, which we want to create a common American experience. And uh, that is so fundamental to having an economically integrated society that progressives are not going to compromise on that. Congressman, we just have 30 seconds to the break. You want to just recap, uh, you know, uh, for people who've just tuned in, where these negotiations stand? Tom, this is the first time I've been on your show where we're live in the midst of negotiations. We've uh, just had a caucus meeting. We're waiting on where the speaker is with these two senators, Manchin and Sinema. Senator Sanders is also involved on the Senate side. I hear the president may be coming, actually, uh, to talk to some House members or to our caucus. Uh, We're at the Capitol, and we're trying to come to an agreement. And the Progressive Caucus is saying we have to pass both bills. We're not going to say we're just going to build roads and bridges and not provide for people's child care, their health care, uh, their, their paid leave. And the climate. And the climate. Yeah. And the climate. Yeah. Amen. And welcome back. Congressman Rokana with us on the line, taking your calls for the hour uh, unless he gets uh, dragged away. Kirsten Cinema has gone back to Arizona. That's uh, unbelievable to me. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 one of my comms person said, you know, can you lay off for every show you're out there? I said, well, you know, I have nothing personal against her, but it's just so odd and cryptic. I mean, you never get a statement where she stands, not negotiating. So, and it's the stakes, Tom. I mean, you know, people have been in Congress for 10, 20 years fighting for these things, like Rosa DeLora to, to, to improve child allowances, to deal with child poverty, to finally get paid leave for workers, to, to finally get child care in this country, to get people to go to college without having to go into debt. You know, you've been in this fight for, for, for decades, and we finally have a moment to do something, and you have one or two senators holding the whole thing up, and you can understand the frustration. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's pick up some phone calls here. Danny in Monument, Colorado. You are on the air with Congressman Connor. Two things real quickly. Is The first one is on the voting bill. I hear nothing. All I hear is the infrastructure bill. What is going on with the voting? Because, you know, that's going to be the key to determine. 
and where we're all at. If people can corrupt the vote, then there's just no chance for democracy. The real reason I called is I thought that someone some time ago was going to put in legislation to prevent Trump from ever running for any office again. And so, you know, I'm tired of seeing his mug out there every day on the on the feeds. So help put a stop to that and pass some legislation to stop him from running. I'm sure everyone would sign on. You would have a majority vote right now in the in the House and the Senate. So that's my my question. Thank you. You know, when the second Trump impeachment was happening, I uh, was talking to my wife, whose political instincts are usually better than mine. And I said, oh, you know, after January 6th, we really don't have to worry about Trump. And even some people we knew who had supported Trump said, oh, we could never vote for him again. I mean, I said, after basically encouraging uh, the riot and invasion of the Capitol, who's going to vote for him? And she said, you better hope they convict him, because if they convict him, you need to pass a bill that he doesn't run. Otherwise, he's going to run. And I said, come on. And now we see that, you know, unfortunately, my wife has been more right, that the Republican Party has coalesced around it. Polls show that he would win the nomination easily. I mean, who knows if he actually follows through, but it's a real threat. The challenge is we didn't convict him during impeachment. So I think it would take two-thirds of the vote, and I'm not even sure if you can do it unrelated to impeachment, but I agree with you. We need a statutory ban on him running, and that was our chance with the, with the impeachment, and it's un- unfortunate we didn't do it. Janet, in Angel Fire, New Mexico, you are on the air with Congressman Khan. Has Congress considered decreasing the number of years this legislation covers to five years, thus decreasing the funding needed by half also? I think it would help uh, uh, cinema and mansion to save face. Well, Jen, this is exactly the idea Tom had that he emailed me about and that we started the show discussing, and I'm On the same page. Let's front load the benefits. Let's make sure people get benefits early. You know, the current bill actually doesn't, you don't get the dental benefits until 2028. And I was talking to Senator Sanders. He said, this is why we need a debit card so folks can go to the dentist uh, tomorrow, as soon as we pass it, and and at least get some of the benefits uh, right away. So what we need to do is have the benefits up front and at least do it through 2024, uh, and then we can run on it. And, And I have suggested that, and uh, I agree with you. We, we, it could be one potential way of, of compromising. Kathy in Three Rivers, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Khan. I don't know if Congress is really aware of the financial situation. Many of us over 65 are. I turned 65 November 1st. I had to, due to my health, quit working earlier, so I had to take early retirement so I had some form of income. But $639 a month, even with food stamps, is not enough to survive on. It's not Social Security. It's social poverty. I can't even afford to buy vehicle insurance, so I have more of my independence actually taken away because I can't afford the insurance to be able to take myself someplace instead of having to depend on somebody to get a ride to go somewhere. So, Kathy, is your question, will they raise Social Security benefits? The minimum. You're absolutely right. The SSI rules are completely flawed. If you have over a a few thousand bucks in savings, it lowers the amount. That makes no sense. And it's, you know, I think it's like 700 bucks a month 
uh, and an SSDI is a thousand bucks a month. You can't live on that. People can't live on that. Uh, and we have, at the other hand, and we have got you know three people owning more wealth in this country than the bottom fifty percent. I know Bernie Sanders says that again and again, but it's just so true and so obvious that there's something unjust about that. So this is why we need a wealth tax. We need to scrap the cap on Social Security, tax people over over two hundred fifty thousand on that, and increase SSI, increase SSDI, uh, allow people to have some savings. Uh, we're we're just living in in grave real un- injustice, and so there's a bill. Jamal Bowman, actually a great member of Congress from New York, one of the young new members, has a bill to reform SSI, and and it's on the radar of the Progressive Caucus. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Yes, Congressman, I, I like your approach with Senator Cinema, at least in asking if scaled down version of the comprehensive infrastructure bill that funding it for four years would be acceptable to her, and she seems not to respond, but you know, I wonder, is anybody, maybe you or anybody, willing to ask her, look, you don't want to pass infrastructure, you don't want to uh, pass voting rights, you don't want to get rid of the filibuster, what's your brilliant plan, uh, first-term senator? You know, you've got to make her, you know, do her business or get off the pot, because, you know, the queue for the loo is growing. And what is her plan? She can't just sit there and say nothing. I mean, somehow she has to be compelled to respond. And I think, you know, put her just like I did with my students who were uncooperative is get up in front of the class and tell us what your brilliant plan is. You know, if you want if you don't want to do this, tell us what you want to do. Well, Paul, I appreciate that. And, you know, I think in fairness, she'd probably say, I just want to do infrastructure and that's it. But she, that's just not understanding the, the plight, the hardships of the working class and middle class in this country. And President Biden ran, won her state, uh, talking about delivering for people. And, you know, I'm all for building roads. I'm all for building bridges. I'm all for building broadband. That's not materially enough to affect people's lives. You provide people with child care. You provide people with dental care, with being able to get hearing aids and suddenly they say okay this government's looking out for me and so i agree with you you know she should offer her vision and she should be transparent and again one of the things i respect about senator manchin is you know exactly where he stands and then you can at least uh, negotiate we're listening to tom hartman visit tomhartman.com for audio and video archives sometimes louise and i just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Thomas in Sacramento, California. You're on the air with Congressman Khan. Quick comment on the Trump re-election thing. Just passed a law stating presidents have to release their tax information for such a period. But my comment, my question was about uh, Stephen Donzinger, who um, just got sentenced today for six months. What can be done that allies within the... Um, you know, environmental uh, uh, activists. You know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the case, but he won. He won, he won a case against Chevron defending the, the indigenous people of Ecuador, and then you know, uh, a Chevron-supported judge and prosecutor just got him sentenced to six months. It's very disappointing. I, I want to know where the Progressive Caucus stands on on his case. I'm vaguely familiar with the case. In other words, I've read the headlines, and, and it seems appalling on the facts, but I have not looked into it. But this call is great incentive. It always happens on this program that I end up getting a couple things to look into. So I'm going to tell our human rights folks to uh, look into it today uh, and see if we can do something about it as a progressive caucus, because you're right that we ought to be uh, making sure that the people aren't prosecuted uh, for standing up to some of these companies. And I can even make it a, a something we bring up in our hearings when we're going to have Exxon, Chevron, uh, and, and uh, BP Shell in front of our committee. So I appreciate your raising it. Now, on the tax law, that's a pretty clever idea. Yeah, yeah, it is, actually. Lowell in Salem, Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Since the 80s, all workers have been paying double on Social Security for FICA taxes. It's very disappointing that the, the raise in the income tax level for FICA wasn't in this bill. But I have a suggestion for how to guarantee retirement for all workers is to pass a bill that grants every American citizen credit for five years served in Congress, and that way they all get access to the pensions system. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, your thoughts, Congressman? Well, I'm all for it. You know, I, uh, the, one of the myths around here is, and it used to be that if you serve in Congress, you get pensioned for life, et cetera. You don't. Reality is that the federal retirement system is very good. And, and every federal employee, which are about 2 million, get a significant retirement per year that they serve. And that is a generous retirement per year that most people who are not in the federal government don't have. And we ought to make sure that we there are a number of plans that will help provide people who are not in the federal government those same opportunities and we ought to do that we're 30 seconds out from the break is there uh, in in either of these two bills the the you know the the one trillion three and a half trillion uh, shorthand um is there anything that raises social security or any of these other programs to provide a little bit more of a social safety net floor for low-income people there's not, Tom, and that's why when the progressives talk about it, we say the ideal with the Thrive Act was actually $10 trillion. We started at $6 trillion with Sanders, and we've already compromised to $3.5 trillion because the thing with the $6 trillion had the increasing of Social Security and some of the increase of benefits. And that's why we can't just keep cutting the things that we need. But we, you know, this is the beginning of a progressive agenda, not by any means the completion of one. Boy, I would love to hear somebody say, you know, we've already given up on raising 
taxing Social Security for people because the Republicans are opposed to that. What more blood do you want from us? <laughs> oh, that's actually a great point. The specificity of what we've already compromised as there opposed to just saying we've compromised on the top line. It's there a great point. Alfredo in Mountain View, California, you are on the air with Congressman Connor. Do you know if the commission investigating the January 6th insurrection, are they subpoenaing, uh, are they going to subpoena this guy, Michael Lindell, my pillow guy? Uh, he met with Trump just the days before uh, the election, and rumor is that this guy was advising Trump on how to, quote unquote, or what to do if the election was, quote, stolen. And I take my answer off the air. Thank you. I am not sure if they are, but I'll tell you what, uh, I will talk to Benny Thompson, who is the chair of that committee, and make sure that he's aware, I'm sure he is, of Michael Lindell, and I can't imagine that they wouldn't want to have someone like that at least offer testimony, whether it's in public or private. Lori in Ocala, Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hello, Congressman. Thank you for being here. I would like to recommend an act called Title Nine Months. I have no idea how much it costs for an entire pregnancy. Yes, I have one daughter. I had a lot of losses on the way there. The complications, it's obvious that the percentage of the cost of the pregnancy is much, much greater than an abortion. So I think that if a woman is in a relationship and has resulted in a sperm and egg being fertilized, a pregnancy happens, there should be a legal mandate similar to Title IX that the sperm supplier and the egg supplier pay equally for the process. I don't understand why this is not made simple. It might be an act of God, whatever your religion is, but this is a sperm and an egg, and a woman is the one that's put through the cost and put through the carrying and put through the whole life. So why can't we just make an act of Congress and call it Title Nine Months? One of the previous callers of the show had a similar question about whether we could have fathers basically held accountable uh, for uh, support earlier, and I don't know what the law is currently. I, I imagine the law is that the child has to be born and that there is is no obligation under pregnancy. They'll look that up. I'm not sure. But I send off an email actually during the break to one of my staffers to say, let's look, look this up and see if there's anything we could do that increases parental responsibility during pregnancy. I mean, it seems that's a, a, a reasonable proposal. Yeah, I've often said that if men could get pregnant, abortion would be a sacrament. I wonder, though, if, <laughs> if, if men knew that they would be on the hook immediately for financial costs, if that might suddenly take some of the wind out of the sails of this movement. Anyhow, Adam in New Orleans, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. History tells us that contractions in money supply result in depressions. Yep. So given just the, the number of moving parts, are you building in any kind of buffer to manage the risk of contraction in money supply during this transitional period? I believe this is why we need thoughtful Fed policy. Uh, you know, too often the Fed has seen any wage appreciation as a moment to, to have a contraction. And a number of people, from Representative Ocasio-Cortez to Warren, have said, you know, actually having a little bit of inflationary wage increases is, is a good thing, and we shouldn't artificially tighten. So uh, it's a balance to make sure that we're not uh, having the inflation of asset bubbles versus making sure we're having inflation of, of wage growth. But uh, you're right to caution that we shouldn't artificially restrict the money supply uh, in a way that it's an over-adjustment. Dave, in Canton, Michigan, you are on the air with Congressman Khan. I'm calling about a stand on uh, Medicare for All. I would like to propose national health care, having $100,000, no federal income tax, 
for anyone, 15% national sales tax. We will not tax electric cars, but we will tax ICE vehicles. We will tax gasoline. We will tax people's wants and not their needs. Medicare, Social Security recipients will not be re- have money taken out of their Social Security. They will right. not have to. So, have so Dave, what, what, you're, what you're pitching is how to fund a, a single payer system, basically. Um, Congressman, we just have, uh, I think, about 30 seconds, 20 seconds left here. If you want to well, wrap I, up today. I, you know, I was, I'll say very briefly, you know, when Jimmy Carter was running in 76, so they asked him, how are you going to pay for it? He said, well, I'll figure that out when I was, I'm president. I was saying that to Senator Warren, and we were joking in terms of her detailed plan. But if you look at her detailed plan, it actually tells you the way, which is you tax big corporations, they'd still be better off, and you have a wealth tax, and that, and that would pay for it, and you'd save money in lowering the health care costs of the country. Congressman Connor, thanks so much for dropping by, and good luck today. I wish you the Thank best. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, always, a, sure. always a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much, Congressman Ro Khanna. You can uh, find his website at Khanna K H A N N A dot House dot Gov, and you can tweet him at Rep Ro Khanna. Quick math: the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Madi in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Hey, Madi, what's on your mind today? Every time Republicans say no to everything, the Democrats are so eased not to move quick about anything. Why do they not come together? I know why. Because they got imposters in there. They don't really care about the people. They still get money from corporations. What is that? Why? It's because the Supreme Court legalized it and, and doubled down, in fact, on that in their, in their 2010 Citizens United decision. It's the grift that I wrote about at Hartman Report today that, that was my opening rant at the beginning of the show. And I'm completely with you, Marty. I, I agree. And, and I think it's, it's, it is so wrong. And Americans are figuring this out. And I think that's part of why, you know, when Trump was up there chanting, drain the swamp, drain the swamp, and everybody was like, yeah, drain the swamp, drain the swamp, it was like, that was, he, he ran as an anti-corruption and anti-grift candidate. Of course, he was grifting, but he knew what Americans want. They, you know, we, we would like to have our government back, thank you very much. And uh, I'm completely with them. Uh, I'm with the people who want to have their government back, obviously not with the Trump voters. 
Philip in San Jose. Hey, Philip, what's up? Suggest that they resurrect that speech Ted Kennedy made about, you know, when will the greed stop? Here you go. Here it is. $240 billion in tax breaks for corporations, $36 billion in tax breaks for small businesses, increase in productivity, 42% over the last 10 years. But do you think there's any increase in the minimum wage? No. What is the price? We ask the other side. What is the price that you want from these working men and women? What cost? How much more do we have to give to the private sector and the business? How many billion dollars more are you asking, are you requiring? When does the greed stop? That's yeah, exactly what you're talking about, Philip? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was hoping to get on before Ro, uh, uh, Rep. Ro Condon got off because, the, you know, it's like that's where the progressives should be, yeah. you know, coming from. Because if you look at everything, everything traces back to this lust for wealth and power. Yeah. My local cable provider doesn't provide, doesn't have free speech TV. I, I'm getting it through online, but... Contact them. Ask them to ask them I, to pick it up. I, I did. And they said they, they just don't carry it. But is there any way that... You, from them they can do it or I don't know you can you know Free Speech TV has uh, on their website there's a way to communicate with them um, uh, okay so you know pitch it to them give them the name of the cable company and say you know I'd, I'd like to be able to get you on local cable and and uh, you know hopefully they'll they'll do something with it uh, Philip thank you for the call uh, good thank to hear you. from you Sean in Waterville, Maine hey Sean what's on your mind today I wish that your show could be on the radio local radio but, of course, rural America, there's only NPR and right-wing hate radio, which happens to have a guy named Glenn Beck on it. He's 9 a.m. to noon. Well, during the week after September 11 this year, he was literally crying on radio about his experience in Kabul. Well, I digged into it a little more, and I found out that he, when I listened to the radio, he was trying to get people to donate to the Nazarene Fund. I looked into that. That was founded by him. And he's not affiliated <laughs> with the, Na- the Nazarene Church, okay? Yeah. He's yeah. in a scam with them for $30 million, stealing people's money from right-wing radio, okay? Oh, and when I looked at this up, he's been under criminal investigation for over a year now. Yeah, Sean. Sean, I, I, I really, I, you know, I don't know if any of any anything that you're saying is true right now, and I'm, in, I'm, I'm taking it at face value. I'm not, I'm not calling you a liar. And Glenn Beck has gone just, you know, totally off the edge a lot of times in a lot of ways, and that's why Fox got him off the air, actually. But you know, accusing one of my colleagues of being a criminal is uh, pushing it here. And so I'm just going to stop that right there and move on. Luann in Wisconsin, Dells, Wisconsin. If anything goes Friday, Luann, what's on your mind? I was just wondering if it matters where the 50 votes come from if Trump and McConnell don't have the whole GOP in their iron grip that we could work on some of the senators that voted for impeachment like Burr, Mikulski, Cassidy. I mean, they've got people in their states that would benefit tremendously from this bill. Yeah, right. If You're we right. could kind of skip over cinema and mansion and 
work on them, especially like Murkowski. She seems like she's got a good head on her shoulders. I mean, although she's up for she, re-election um, this this time around, and uh, well, maybe if she voted for it, though, maybe a lot of people from the Democratic Party would vote for her. That's entirely she possible. She, she's at least yeah, and, and she's you know, not reasonable. a Republican right now. She's an independent. Um, uh, well, that would be perfect. Then. Yeah, and 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 then there's also Susan Collins, who has tremendous egg on her face over Brett Kavanaugh and probably will not be running for re-election. And she might, you know, I, that's a good idea. I, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, if Chuck Schumer is at all competent, and I don't think you get to be Senate Majority Leader by being incompetent, um, if he's at all competent, he should be doing outreach to these uh, Republican senators. And there might be a few others who, who would like to, you know, take some credit for doing good stuff for their states. Um, excellent point. Because a 50 can come from any place, wouldn't it be? I mean, you could, 50 is 50. It doesn't matter if it's Cinnamon yeah. Mansion or Murkowski and Cassidy, you know, yeah, right. or whoever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good point. Luann, thank you. Uh, John in Indianapolis, Indiana. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Oh, I want to talk about the labor shortage or the supposed labor shortage. Well, okay. no, actually, it is a real labor shortage. I don't think it's going to be a short term. I think it's, we got a 20 year problem at least. It's certainly not because of COVID relief. You're talking about boomers um, retiring? Yeah, boomers retiring. You've got 71 million boomers in the country. You've got 65 million Gen X, 72 million millennials, and 67 million Zoomers. Our workforce graph is looking going from a V to an inverted V. And as boomers are retiring from their full-time jobs with benefits, decent pay, we had 3.5 million retire last year. And we're about halfway through baby boomers turning 65. All of them will be 65 by 29. The millennials, younger millennials and the Zoomers are coming in and trading their two to three jobs, part-time jobs that they have with no benefits for the one job, you know, with benefits. And that's leaving a couple of jobs, up to a couple of jobs deficit that's not being taken. We don't have the population to fill those jobs we're not going to get, we can't just, you know, dream up people. We can't just manufacture people. They've, well, the way you do that um, is with uh, what's called immigration. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Immigration. And uh, also, we, we need to be looking at uh, more automation. So we're going to have to get used to the self-checkouts and the yeah. ordering ahead with apps and whatever but, else. But the real upside of that, John, is the same thing that we saw in the United States after World War II, which is that it puts it puts pressure on employers to give concessions to employees, which means that wages go up and unionization goes up. I mean, the, the, the biggest challenge to unionization going up right now is, has been a series of Supreme Court decisions that allow uh, you know, corporations to basically bash anybody who wants to form a union around the head and neck, you know, like Amazon did to their workers down in Alabama. But at a certain point, your demand for labor exceeds your, the ready supply of, of people willing to work for almost nothing. And you have right. to give in. I mean, is, is that the point that you're trying right. to make? I'm not sure where you're going with this. Well, my point is, is that nobody's really talking about this. I mean, mm. I, I don't hear the talking heads on the news. I don't hear, um, you know, I, I, everybody's pushing this narrative of, oh, well, it's all these lazy people that they're sitting back collecting unemployment. And at 4 to 5% unemployment, how are they getting that COVID relief unemployment money? You got to apply for it. Yeah, well, and, not only that, it ran out last it, week. Get, yeah, and when you apply for unemployment, you get counted in that number, which is 4 to 5%, which has been considered full employment for decades. Right. 
Right. So, uh, the COVID money know. is gone, I mean, John. It, and and you know, I mean, the Republicans have been yelling and screaming about this for some time, saying that the COVID money is creating distortions in the in the labor market. Blah blah blah. Well, you know, next month uh, or by December, certainly. Um, but I think probably yep. by the end of October of this month, actually, by, by early November, we will know whether there was any truth to the Republicans warning that giving people additional unemployment benefits and, you know, COVID relief and things like that were, were creating labor market distortions. I'm skeptical. Um, you know, I think they might have around the fringes, around the edges. But I think that the, the trend line that you've identified, you know, of the boomers retiring is a bigger one. And, uh, and, and and a lot of boomers, by the way, left the job market uh, early because they didn't want to get COVID because an awful lot of those, right. you know, the boomer jobs were like Walmart greeter kind of things. And, you know, who wants to, you know, if you're if you're older and you know that if you get COVID, your odds are like 20 times higher that you're going to die than than is the case if you're 25 years old. You know, if you're 70 versus 25, you know, of course, you're going to retire. You know, you know, hey, Martha, it's time to take Social Security. OK, off we go. You know, and right. And but we need to be talking about this like on a grand scale because we got to fix immigration or there's not going to be anybody to make your hamburger and there's not going to be anybody to to. Well, I'd uh, say it's two uh, things. Number one is immigration. Um, there are still a lot of unemployed people in the United States. But and that's that leads to number two, which is training people for the job market and raising wages so that people are just enthusiastically jumping into the job market as they were in the 1950s and and, you know and and that's that i mean that that in my mind that's that should be the focus of our efforts and and of course you know the progressives are all over that you know making it easier to unionize and let's raise wages and and starting out with raising the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour what we find in states that have already done that like washington state i think is at 14 dollars an hour right now is that it actually increases employment and it increases economic vitality because those folks are spending all their money John, thanks. That's a, it's a very thoughtful call. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Johan in Los Angeles. Hey, Johan, what's up? I want to talk about the term limits because many people like me sick and tired of seeing same people in the government over and over again and nothing gets done. So when their time is up, vote for new people into government so we could get something going. Do you think that's unconstitutional for the House and the Senate for having term limits like governors and mayors and president? I think it's a bad idea, and let me explain why. You mentioned two different things. One is you're tired of seeing the same faces over and over, and then the second is you're tired of nothing getting done. And I would, I would say that those are really two separate problems, and the nothing getting done problem has more to do with money and politics and Supreme Court decisions and, and things like that, and the capture of the Republican Party. But here's how it works, Johan. When, when you become a new member of Congress, Typically, an older member of Congress takes you under their under their uh, wing, you know, and shows you around and tells you how things work. And, you know, here's where the bathroom is and here's where the bodies are buried. And and, uh, you know, these if you want to work on on uh, uh, labor policy, you want to talk to so and so. And if you want to talk on, a, you know, work on environmental policy, you really need to meet up with with such and such person. And so there's like an institutional memory that is carried by the people who have been there for more than a generation. And that's actually a really important thing. There are a half a dozen states, uh, or in the neighborhood of that, I, I, I don't know the exact number, but it's like between four and eight or nine states that have term limits. And this was a thing back in the 80s and 90s, and, and it happened in several states. 
And so we've had this experiment now, and we can look back at what happens in those states. And what happened was the permanent institutional structure that used to be provided by long-termers, people in safe districts who, who, were, who were doing what their people wanted and just kept getting elected over and over and over again. That, and, and, and therefore they could be the mentors to the new people coming in. That permanent or more semi-permanent institutional structure got replaced by the other institutional structure, the other group of people who are always there in the halls of Congress and are there for decades in many cases, the lobbyists. And so what happened was in those states that instituted term limits, the power of lobbyists went up dramatically and the power of politicians and the ability of politicians to get things done went down dramatically simply because of that dynamic. And that's why you will hear Republicans constantly talking about how important term limits are. Because they don't care if something gets done because a Republican was elected or because a lobbyist got a good grip on a Democrat. They just want their tax cuts. They just want their deregulation. They just want their, you know, hey, let us dump more coal in the rivers and stuff like that. And so that's why term limits is something that is constantly being pushed on right-wing talk radio. It's constantly being discussed by Fox News. The Republican Party occasionally talks about it. Um, and actually, you know, if you look at where it's happened, it's been a bad thing. Did I convince you? Because, uh, yeah, Manchin and the cinema are like, kind of like a filibustering outside the Senate room. Yeah, well, the and term like, limit for them is to, is to get kicked the hell off in the next election. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So we do have term limits. They're called elections. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, but I completely empathize with you. I, very often it's like, oh, my God, why, are they, you know, why is this person still here? Why can't something get done? Um, but it's not because their, their voters kept sending them to Congress. The, the reason things aren't getting done is much deeper than that. Jerry in Kent, Washington. Hey, Jerry, what's up? I'm a retired RN. I just finished uh, your book, A Hidden History of American Healthcare. I think it should be mandatory reading for every healthcare provider in the country. Thank you. I'm just so tired about how atrocious the delivery system in this country is, and it's not not necessary at all. Anything I missed in the book, or any specific suggestions? No, or? no, no, not at all. Um, you know, having been on the inside of it. Um, as such, I'm just really, you know, disappointed in in members of Congress that don't appear to be have a clue about this particular set of circumstances, and neither, you know, for the most part, does the public. Yeah. Well, Jerry, thank you. Think, have you ever read The Deficit Myth by Stephanie Kelton? Yeah. Yeah, and she's been on this program a number of times talking to Yeah, her. okay, good. Yeah, yeah, because it's what she pushes is kind of indirectly related to some of the problems that occur, uh, you know, in, in this healthcare system, I think. Yeah, oh, no. It, it became painfully obvious to me last night listening to Manchin that he has no clue about economics or how fiat money works. No, he's he's just reciting the the talking points from the right wing, yeah. uh, you know, like the Heritage Foundation, these groups that are funded by the Koch Network. Um, Jerry, yeah. thank you, thank you for the kind words about my book. Yeah, and thank you, and thank you very much, Annie in Watertown, Wisconsin, listening to WRRD. Hey, Annie, what's up? That stove and refrigerator my parents bought in '58, and they were still working when they got rid of them in '77. About 38, 39 years ago, I got my mother, my grandmother's twenty point three. GE chest freezer, which she got in like 62, 63. Mm -hmm. I hope I didn't hex it, but 
I mean, it's going on 60 years. Wow. And it still works. So this is my, you're, you're referring to my opening rant, which is that even our economy has become a grift. Our politics have become a grift. Everything has become a grift. We don't even bother to make appliances anymore that have a decent lifespan. Exactly. I've gone through how many refrigerators and microwave ovens and stoves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Four toasters in five years. I mean, this is it's nuts. I mean, I would pay a little extra to have a really good one, but I'm, you know, I'm just not even sure that they're out there. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much for the call, Annie. Walt in Friday Harbor, Washington. Hey, Walt, what's up? I would like to know what your opinion of uh, minting the coin would be. I've heard about that recently. Yeah. And it'll pay back the uh, the deficit or whatever. Yeah. This was this was first proposed about a decade ago. Uh, it's uh, you know and, and and was picked up and has in, become kind of integrated into the modern monetary theory. Uh, ideology or worldview. Uh, we've had a couple of monetary, modern monetary theory folks on this program talking about it. And basically, <clears throat> here's how it works, Walt, for people who don't know what you and I are talking about. Um, the Constitution defines basically two kinds of money that the United States has. and we, So we have two kinds of money that, are, that come from different sources. If you look at the right. dollar bills in your pocket, the paper money, it all says Federal Reserve. No, it comes from the Federal Reserve. The Treasury mm -hmm. has no control over the Federal Reserve. And, mm -hmm. and you know, so the Federal Reserve issues our, our money and all that kind of thing. But Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution authorizes the federal government, specifically the Treasury Department, to mint coins and determine their value. And so mm -hmm. the Treasury Department, which is part of the federal government and, and answers to Joe Biden, the, the Treasury yeah. Department could mint one coin, uh, ideally a platinum coin, because the law actually provides for that, that, uh, that a platinum coin, that we can define the value of it. Define its value okay. as being $1 trillion, print it, hand it to themselves, and take that $1 <laughs> trillion coin and deposit it in the federal government and say, we're going to use this to uh, fund the government for the next year going forward or the next three months going forward. Or we're going to use this to pay down part of the national debt or we're going to use this for whatever. In fact, they could, they could mint 10 of them. They could mint 20 of them and wipe out the entire national debt if they wanted. The problem mm -hmm. with this and the reason why, no, why it's never going to happen, no, no administration is willing to do this, is mm. that the two ways that you get out of control inflation are number one, um, core commodity prices go up in a way that you can't control. We saw this in the 70s, the late 60s and early 70s when the Arabs twice shut off the supply of oil to the United States. Price of oil went through the roof. As a result of that, the price of everything else went through the roof. Um, and so you had inflation. We're seeing that right now, in fact, to a certain extent with building materials because we're having so many natural disasters, so many homes need to be repaired that the cost of building materials are going up and that's causing inflation right across the general economy. So that's one way. The other way is debasing your currency, putting into, 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 the, into the world more currency than you had before, so you've got more dollars chasing the same number of goods and services. Now, minting $6 trillion worth of coins and throwing them into the treasury would not cause that problem. It's not big enough. It would require a hell of a lot more than that. The Fed created $24 trillion in 2009 just to deal with the Bush crash of 2008. But they were then able to kind of wind part of that back down. But, it, you know, it wouldn't be a problem except that the way it would look to everybody else in the world would be that that's what we were doing. 
every other country in the world would go, wait a minute, we can't do that. We can't just, you know, mint money like that. It's totally a violation, for example, the rules of the European Union. And that might cause a shift away from the dollar as the reserve currency for the world. And that would create chaos that would echo for generations in the United States. Would that be worse than defaulting like we're heading towards now? I think it would probably have an outcome nearly as bad. It wouldn't, okay. I don't think it would be as bad. I don't think we're going to default. I mean, I, I just can't, uh, although who knows? I mean, this is high stakes chicken, <laughs> uh, you know, but, right. uh, but it, it, it would be bad. But uh, so anyhow, thank yeah. you. Thank you for the call, Walt. I appreciate it. Chip in Tampa, Florida. Hey, Chip, what's on your mind today? Given how little Congress has done for the people mm-hmm. over the last 10, 20, 30 years, right. and, and I mean, if, if you had a pinpoint actual things that they have done that are beneficial to the majority of people, I think you'd be hard-pressed to come it up with. pretty much all came to a screeching halt with the election of Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Well, okay, so why couldn't a class action suit be filed against Congress for dereliction of duty? Uh, first of all, because of sovereign immunity. But uh, the way to do that is throw the bombs out. I mean, this is what Donald Trump campaigned on, you know, drain the swamp. It's also what Bernie and Elizabeth Warren campaigned on and the and the corruption and the money in politics. And I, I think that that's that's the way you need to do it. I, I you know, I get your frustration. I totally get your frustration and I, I share it. Um, but that's that's how it would have to be done is in. That's why we have elections. George and good point. George in Chicago. Hey, George, what's on your mind today? Well, what's on my mind is that tape recording you played of Ted Kennedy uh, speaking like the liberal lion of the Senate earlier. And I always um, listen to it with mixed emotions. You know, at the same time, he was speaking out for working people who needed a increase in the minimum wage. He and Jimmy Carter were drinking deeply of the deregulation Kool-Aid that destroyed perhaps a million jobs in the airline industry and in the trucking industry, one of which was mine. Uh, I worked for a legacy company that had been in business for over 50 years, and by the end of the 80s, we were gone. And uh, for the life of me, I don't understand why any Democrat would want to take a sledgehammer to regulated interstate commerce, which was one of the fundamental building blocks I can tell you why. This is the book that I'm writing right now, George, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing the research for it uh, right now. I've got to turn the book in by January 7th, um, The Hidden History of Neoliberalism. And from the 1950s until the late 1970s, you had these, uh, you know, the Milton Friedman and Hayek and Mises, these guys, they said, if you just liberate the marketplace from regulation, everything will get so much better. And you're right, Jimmy Carter and Ted Kennedy and quite a few other Democrats believed them. Bill Clinton based his presidency on this. And it turns out that it was a lie. And it continues to be a lie. And neoliberalism is just now beginning to die. But uh, that's, what it, that's what it was, George. And, and I'm sorry to hear about your, your loss of your job. Thank you for the call. And thanks for pointing that out. It's a good one. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Coit, Gerilyn Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Frost, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabbermocky, Jay LeBlanc, Connor O'Reilly, and Carnival Verity. Have a great weekend. Get out there, get active. Tag, you're it. We'll see you on Monday. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 